This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2015. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. This morning we want to uh, go on the Word of God to Matthew's Gospel, Chapter 4. Matthew's Gospel, Chapter 4. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4, reading from verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered uh, to him. Let me just read one verse in Mark's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 12. Immediately the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. It's also written in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, uh, the story as well. After 30 years of almost uh, complete obscurity, except for that one instance that we talked about last Sunday morning when he was 12 in the temple. But after 30 years, Jesus steps out of the shadows and onto the scene at the Jordan River and by his own request, asked John the baptizer to baptize him, which John did. And as he was doing that, the heavens opened And the Holy Spirit, like a dove, descended upon Jesus. And the Father spoke and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. What a way to make an entrance. His long-awaited ministry was about to begin. And he had just been given publicly his Father's complete approval. God is well pleased. Well pleased with his son's toil for 30 years in the carpenter's shop. Well pleased that now his mission is about to begin on the earth. Well pleased that at long last he and I will be seen as the light of the world. So what happens next? Amazing miracles, incredible signs and wonders, multitudes following Jesus, hanging on to his every word. No. What we would least suspect 
what would be totally unexpected, the Spirit leads him into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. But did the Father just not give his approval? Yes. Isn't it time for Jesus to reveal himself to a lost and a dying world? Yes. Isn't it long enough for Jesus to wait for 30 years before he begins? Yes. But just one more thing, he must be tempted in the wilderness by the devil. Why? Father was well pleased. He really approved of him. So why? See, Jesus would claim to love his Father. He would claim to be obedient to the Father's will. He would claim to always do those things which please the Father. So now comes the test, a 40-day test, in the wilderness, no less, surrounded by wild beasts where no one is looking, and being hungry without any food, for 40 days. 40 is always, by the way, indicative of a time of testing. The children of Israel were in the wilderness for 40 years. Noah, when he was in the ark, the rain fell for 40 days. Moses, when he up Mount Sinai to talk to God, he was there for 40 days. Jonah preached to the Ninevites for 40 days to repent. Goliath of Gath shook his big fist at the children of Israel for 40 days. Jesus now is fasting in the wilderness for 40 days. For six weeks almost, Jesus is going to be tested. So right here, right now, Jesus is given the golden opportunity to show his power, to demonstrate his power to turn stones into bread. In other words, to trust his own power and his own ability to take care of his own needs regardless of the Father's will. Or to see if the Father truly loves him. Throw yourself off the pinnacle of the temple if the Father really loves you. He'll send his angels to swoop in and grab you before you dash your foot against the stones. Or else, take a shortcut to the Father's will that you may reign and rule over the kingdoms of this world. Take a shortcut, just bow down and worship the devil, and you'll have it immediately. If God wills for you to do some work for him, you can be sure... You're going to be tested. You're going to be tempted one way or another. For some, they may have great success. For some, it may be fame. It may be power. It may be popularity. It may be prosperity. It may be an unusual gifting. But can they handle such things when it comes? We see this every day, do we not? Uh, as far as the world is concerned, we see it with... Uh, uh, with, uh, in athletics, we see it with great athletes. We see it in government with politicians. We see it in the business world with uh, these great uh, industrialists. Uh, we, we see it in the celebrity world. We see it in show business uh, where people climb to the dizzy heights of their profession. And then they crash and burn uh, because they can't handle it. Sadly, we see it also in the kingdom of God, do we not? Uh, we see people who are highly gifted, who are 
exceptional communicators. We see people who have got great, mighty ministries. We see people who have got mega ministries all over the world. And how many times, sadly, have we seen them crash and burn? Because they were tempted and they couldn't handle it. Most of us, unless we would be highly successful and extremely gifted and extremely popular, most of us probably would never understand the temptations people like that face. It's on a different level than you or I probably will face. And so, they come to this temptation. The unusual thing about these temptations is that we probably never would have known about them except Jesus told his disciples about them. You see, there was nobody there to record firsthand what happened in the wilderness. So therefore, Jesus must have shared this. He took this very private and personal experience and he shared it with his disciples in order to encourage them and, of course, to encourage us. And I, for one, am glad that he did. You know, God sometimes can give you personal and private experiences, and it's only for you. It's not for you to share with anybody else. You need to know the difference. But this is for us, that we may be encouraged, that we may be strengthened, that we may understand how to deal with temptations whenever they come. And so this first temptation, and really, I only want to focus on this first temptation today. I have something completely different tonight, but just for this morning. This first temptation, turning stones into bread. What if you or I had unlimited power? What if we had unparalleled power? What if we could literally turn stones into bread or water into wine or multiply bread and fishes? What if we could literally do that? Would we do that for ourselves? Would we do that for our convenience? Would we do that for our advantage? You see, Satan knew that Jesus had unlimited power, unparalleled power, and he knew that that he would give that for others. He would use that for the benefit and the blessing of the world around him. But right now, just at the outset of his ministry, before he has even begun to minister to anybody, Jesus is tempted by the devil. And if he could just get Jesus right now, if he could just get him, before he begins to minister to anybody, if he could just get him right now to bless himself, to take care of himself first, to put himself first before anything else. If he could just get him to do that now, that would set the course, perhaps, for his whole ministry. If he could just get Jesus to look after himself just as one time, that could set the course for his whole ministry. But you know the course of Jesus' ministry was others first, wasn't it? So many times he could have blessed himself, but he chose to bless others. So many times he could use that power for himself, but he used it for others. After all, he's really, really hungry. 
His need is great. What possible harm could there be in it if just this one time he would look after number one? Nobody could fault him for that, surely. I mean, it's the most natural thing in the world, isn't it? Self-preservation. Me first. My needs first. My convenience first. Myself first. But the kingdom of God is not like that. Sure it's not. The kingdom of God is entirely different. (laughs) Jesus said, if you seek to save your life, you will lose it. And so in the kingdom of God, we die to live. We serve to lead. We give to receive. It's completely opposite to how this world functions. The kingdom of God is completely different order. But the sad fact is this, that too many Christians want to live in the kingdom of God, but run their lives according to how the world does it. And it doesn't work. You can't pick and mix. If you're in the kingdom for it to work for you, you have to obey the rules of the kingdom. You can't take the world's way and import that into the kingdom of God. It just will not work. And you'll neither be happy in the world or neither be happy in the kingdom of God. You'll just not be happy anyway because it will not work for you. When are we ever going to learn that the kingdom of God is not of this world, that different rules apply? And so the temptation to, quote-unquote, turn stones into bread is very, very great indeed. The temptation to put self first is great, isn't it? It really, truly is. It's not just second nature, it's first nature. It comes quite naturally. You don't have to learn it. It's intuitive. (laughs) We're born with it. The little child doesn't have to learn to lie. Every mother knows when they're sitting in the living room and your child's in the kitchen and it's very, very quiet in the kitchen, you know there's something up. Something's going on, isn't there? Every mother knows that. And so you go in the kitchen And there's little Molly, and her face is all chocolate, and it's in her hair, and it's on her hands, and it's on her dress, and the wrappers are everywhere. And the mother looks at little Molly and says, Molly, did you eat that chocolate? And little Molly, with her big, wide-eyed, innocent eyes, says, no, Mommy. (laughs) It just comes quite naturally. So convincing, except for the evidence. But we do have to learn the ways of the kingdom because it doesn't come naturally. We have to discipline ourselves. It's counterintuitive to this world that we live in. We have to grow in grace. We have to mature in faith. We have to, as Peter says, desire the sincere milk of the word that we may grow thereby. So there's a process of growing and maturing in the kingdom of God that we have to learn to do. And so the tempter said, if you are the son of God, command these stones become bread. After all, if you're the son of God, then you've got all power and you've got all privileges. So you can do 
just whatever you like. It is said that one day when Queen Elizabeth II was just a little girl, there was something was not pleasing her. And as a little girl, she put her two hands on her hips and she stamped her foot and said, I am a princess. I can do just whatever I like. And her father, the king, took her aside and gently said, Elizabeth, precisely because you are a princess, you cannot do just whatever you like. And precisely because we are sons and daughters of God, we cannot do just whatever we like. We must use our rights and privileges that God has given us, not for our glory, but for his glory and for the good of others. See, Jesus, while he was on earth, he completely submitted himself to the Father's will, even in that agony of prayer in Gethsemane. What was his prayer? Not my will, but thine be done. Often a man or woman's greatest temptation comes when God blesses the work of their hands. Because that's when pride can rise up. Remember Elijah had his greatest moment in ministry the pinnacle of his prophetic career, if we could put it that way, on Mount Carmel with those 450 prophets of Baal. And Elijah had enough of their nonsense, and so he challenged them to that great jewel. Let us make two altars. Let us have two bullocks. Let us carve them up and put them on the altars. And you call upon your God, and I'll call upon the Lord God, and the God that answers by fire, let him be God. And they said, that's good. And you know the story how the prophets of Baal, they made their altar and they cut up their bull and they put it on the altar and they cried unto Baal to send the fire and the fire didn't come and they cried to noon. And then Elijah steps in and he begins to mock them and he says, well, where is your God? Maybe he's gone on holiday. Maybe he's on a journey. Maybe meditating. He's maybe sleeping. And they cried all the more and they cut themselves as their custom was. And they jumped up on top of the altar and they cried till the evening time, but no fire came. And Elijah says, Okay, stand aside. And he made his altar. And he built his altar and he cut his bullock and he put it on top of the altar and he says, Right. Get four gallons of water, throw it on it, made a trench around it. Do it again, he says. And he threw the water on again. Do it the third time. He threw the water on again, and it filled the whole trench and drenched everything. He says, now. And he called upon God. And you know what happened? The fire came, didn't it? And it burned up the sacrifice. And it licked up all the water. The God answers by fire, let him be God. What a moment, the highest moment of his ministry. And then Jezebel threatened to take his life and he ran all the way down to Beersheba. Couldn't run any further. On a day's journey into the wilderness, and he cried unto God, take away my life. It's enough. I'm no better than my father's. Nothing's changed. 
They still hate me. Still want to kill me. In fact, if you read that story, we haven't time, but if you read that story three times, 1 Kings 18 19, three times he actually said, God, I'm the only prophet. I'm the only prophet. I'm the only one left. I'm the only one that's standing for you. <laughs> Pride can so easily come in, can't it? God, there's, there's nobody else with a ministry like mine. This is unique. Nobody would have dared challenge those prophets of Baal, only me. Look how you answered God. You sent the fire. The whole nation saw that. <laughs> Remember what God said? I have 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. You're not the only one. I've got some more. And after that, he told him to anoint some people, somebody to be king and so forth, and Elisha to be a prophet in your stead. I find it interesting that the first miracle the devil tempted Jesus to do was to turn stones into bread for himself. But the first miracle he actually did, that he chose to do, was to turn water into wine for others. And by this, John says, he manifested forth his glory. What a difference. The devil says, do this for yourself. But he chose to turn water into wine for others. So Jesus answered the tempter by saying, man shall not live by bread alone. Yes, we need bread. We must have bread. Our Heavenly Father knows that we need such things. But we need something more than bread alone. Bread alone, the material, the natural desires alone, will not fully satisfy the child of God. We cannot live by bread alone, Jesus said. The bread of this world will feed us. It will clothe us. It will house us. It will transport us. It will give us laughter. It will give us comfort. It will give us ease. But it will not fully complete us or fully satisfy us. Why? Because we're children of God. We need more than just bread. C.S. Lewis said, If I have found a desire within myself that no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And you and I are made for another world. Hallelujah. And that's why bread alone is never going to satisfy. Listen, it won't satisfy the world either, but they don't know it. <laughs> and they're trying to satisfy themselves with bread alone, and it doesn't work. But we know better. So let's not us try what they try. We know there's more than bread alone. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus, by the way, was quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8. In these temptations, he quotes from Deuteronomy 8 and Deuteronomy 6 and Psalm 91, four biblical quotations. He knew the word of God really, really well. 
Verse 1, every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but, by, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And so Jesus immediately facing this particular temptation, his mind goes back to the children of Israel in the wilderness. And that scripture pops up in his heart and in his mind. And he's able to use that against the evil one. Let the word of God be your spiritual guide. Let it be your defense. Let it be your sword. Notice also that when Jesus was facing these temptations, and this is so important, he faced them as the son of man. Let me explain. He faced them as the son of man. Satan challenged him, if you be the son of God, use your divine privileges. Use your authority. Use your advantages. If you be the son of God. But notice how Jesus answered him. Man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. By saying, man shall not live, he's including us. He's identifying with us. What good would have it been if he just faced those temptations of the evil one as the son of God only? What good would that have done us? We're not the son of God. We're sons of God, but we're not the son of God. So what good would that have been for us? Well, he faced it as the Son of Man. God was already pleased with him. God already given his approval. Now he faced the tempter as the Son of Man so that we, the sons of men, might know how to overcome the tempter whenever we face him. Amen? So thank God, and, and that's why he told what happened to him in that wilderness experience. So we as men and women would know how to handle the situation. If it was just the fact that he was the son of God, then what good would that have been for us? They'd have said, well, that's wonderful, but how does that apply to me? I'm not the son of God. I'm just a human being, just an ordinary person. I'm just an ordinary five-eighths Christian. No, you're not. <laughs> he has equipped you, and he's given you the ability to overcome the evil one. And maybe the tempter was also applying that if he was the son of God, well, well, why wasn't God taking care of him? Why was he out here in this hurling wilderness, starving, surrounded by jackals and lions and beasts, with nobody to help him? That doesn't sound as if God cares for you very much. You see, whenever we are faced with difficulties, 
And maybe we're in the midst of a wilderness experience. That's when the enemy comes and whispers in your ear. See, God doesn't really care. If he did really care, you wouldn't be in the mess you're in. If God did really care, he wouldn't let you go through this. He wouldn't have to face this difficulty if he really cared, if he really loved you, if he was really for you. And you know, when that thinking starts to get in, then you might be tempted to say, God, why me? I don't deserve this. Why has this happened to me? Where are you, God? And that's exactly what the enemy wants you to do. But notice, Jesus never questioned the Father's will or the Father's care. Not once here did he question that. <laughs> he simply trusted his Father's love and he trusted his Father's care and he trusted his Father's word. And we can do no better, too, than to rest in God's love and to rest and trust in God's word. So that we face the tempter and he comes against us, we know what to do. Jesus has equipped us for the temptation. And the temptation will come. For sure it will come. Sometimes in the most unexpected ways. And our only defense is the Word of God. Jesus used it three times. It's all he used. It's all he did. He just went back into the Bible, into the Torah, and into the writings, and into the Holy Scriptures, and he just plucked out those words. And they became rhyme words a living word for that moment, for that temptation. And whenever we're faced with great difficulties and trials and temptations and whatever they may come, we've got the Word, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And that's why he did that. So in other words, he said, look, you see, what I did, you can do. What I had, you have. Just the same thing. Exactly the same. So that we're not left to battle this alone. Another little thing before we close. Did you notice it said that an angel came and ministered unto him? I wonder in our greatest difficulties, in our most difficult moments, when we're facing the most horrible time, I wonder, do we realize that perhaps God has got an angel to come and minister to us? Oh, we can't see him. We don't know where they are, but they're sent to minister to those who are heirs of salvation. And I don't know what the angel said to Jesus or did for him, but... He came to minister to him. And if the Son of God needs ministered to by an angel, guess what? I don't know how that works. I'm not looking for angels. I'm not praying for them. I don't talk to them. But they're there. 
They're there to minister to us. How they do that, I don't know. I don't need to know. But isn't it a nice thought to think that at your worst moment, at your greatest trial, at your biggest temptation, when you feel your weakest, the angels of God are there to help you and to bless you. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you gave us this wonderful example. So, Lord, we never could say to you, you left us without a defense. You left us without a weapon. For, Lord, these are our weapons over warfare. Not carnal things, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of the devil's strongholds. So we thank you for your word. We bless you for your promises. We thank you, Lord, that we can take your word at those difficult hours and moments in our lives and we can turn it against the enemy. And we can take that sword out and, yield, and Lord, yield that sword against the wicked one and destroy his lies. So we thank you, Lord. We bless you, Lord, that our future is bright in Christ. That your plans for us are good. No matter what our circumstances are saying or what the devil is whispering, our circumstances, Lord, will be better in the future. Lord, the believer is looking forward to a brighter and brighter day. Not just in this life, but in the next life. So it's always upwards and onwards with us, Lord. And we give you thanks for this. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast. You can also watch the Sermon of the Month video at youtube.com forward slash Moira Pentecostal or download the sermon video through our iTunes video podcast. For more information, visit us at www.mpc.org.uk. Thank you.